it's understanding and owning the fact that our experience of life is up to us. Like it's up to us in every given moment, what to focus on, what meaning to give things and what to do about it. So that book and that one line just got me to say, you know what, anything is better than this. And what I realize now is it's not up to fate or destiny or whatever. It's up to me. And in that, of course, it's really scary. But isn't it scarier to continue living in suffering that's only going to get worse and worse and worse when you know that it's you who holds the key? Yes. Hi, I'm Shannon Huffman Poulsen, and I want to welcome you to Facing the Wind, season two of the Grit Factor podcast. We are going to have a great time this season with episodes bringing you experts from around the world in leadership, grit, resilience, purpose, and storytelling. I've listened to you over this last year, your comments, your responses, your conversations, your questions. And this really is a season that has been designed with you in mind. This really is a season that's been designed to answer those questions that you need to know in order to fulfill that mission that I know we have in common, that mission of the Grit Institute, which is building courageous leaders for a better world. We're doing that through our courses online at thegritinstitute.com, through our books, and of course, through this podcast. And if you have a question you'd like to have included, please head over to thegritinstitute.com forward slash podcasts and leave your voicemail. It may be included on a future episode. Siri Lindley is a two-time world champion triathlete, winner of 12 ITU World Cup races, and an inspirational, energetic life coach and one of Tony Robbins' 10 favorite motivational speakers. With an infectious and authentic passion, she empowers audiences to strive for peak performance and to work through and ultimately conquer the demons of fear and self-doubt. In late 2019, Siri faced her most difficult battle yet when she was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. Despite being given less than a 10% chance of survival at the time of her diagnosis, she was pronounced cancer-free by her doctors in May of 2020. You'll recognize grit factor mindset in her approach to recovery, despite the odds. Whatever she does, Siri Lindley pours herself into the people around her and changes lives for the better, and her results can be seen all around the world. In 2020, after her successful battle against cancer, she launched two new coaching programs, the Serious Squad, for anyone looking to unleash their fitness warrior and find better health, and the Seriously Authentic Squad, a quarterly in-depth program of life coaching. Siri Lindley and her wife, Rebecca Keat, also a world-class triathlete and coach, run the Serious Tri Club, a training program for triathletes. They have also co-founded two nonprofits, Believe Ranch and Rescue, dedicated to rescuing horses from slaughter and horses in our hands, lobbying to ban horse slaughter. I can't wait for you to hear our conversation today. It's full of life-changing perspective and wisdom from someone who has truly walked the walk and someone I'm so grateful to have in my life. Welcome, Siri, to Facing the Wind. It's so great to have you on here. Oh, Shannon. Well, I think you know how much I love and respect you. So to be on today with you, it's a gift. It's a blessing. And I look forward to this amazing conversation ahead. Thank you. Likewise, Siri. You are, um, there are so many different 
parts of you that I feel like I, I want you to share all of it. And we have a limited amount of time, but I, I wanted to start maybe with one of a quote from one of, from your first book from surfacing and, and have you start by speaking to that, because I think it might be a good place to kind of kick things off. And then I know we can go in some different directions, but one of, from your, your first book surfacing from the depths of self self doubt to winning big and living fearlessly, you wrote, if you are committed with all of your being to the pursuit of your dream, to the unearthing of your true self and potential, you will be blinded by the brilliant light that emerges when you are cracked open. That is beautiful. That is so beautiful. You just gave me goosebumps because the truth in that statement, you know, but it requires, like we have a responsibility yes. in our lives to show up fearlessly authentic. That is when we are firing on all cylinders. That is when we are truly going all in on whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish. Yes. And yes. when I made a decision in my life to live that way from that place, not listening to I should be this, I should be that, I should do this, I should do that. When I just decided, you know what, I am gonna be me. I'm gonna bring every ounce of who I am into this life and I will leave nothing behind. And suddenly, you know, I had these dreams, these visions, but they were all becoming more realistic as I continued to do this. Yes, because we yes. as human beings, I believe, are so much more powerful than we could ever imagine. You know this. Yes. We are yes. so much more powerful, but how can you ever know what you're truly capable of? Right. If you're number one, not trying to do like, how can you do this if you're not trying to do what you don't think you can yeah. every single day? And also anything amazing that you want to achieve, it it's going to take every ounce of you, every ounce of your heart, your soul, your spirit, everything. So the going all in yes. is a must. Yes. And yes. if you don't go all in, you may still succeed. And that's great. Like, congratulations. That's freaking awesome that you're succeeding, not going all in. But can you imagine what you can do if you do go all in? Yes. Yes. That's but what I want everyone to believe in. Your quote, though, I, it says, you will be blinded by the brilliant light that emerges when you are cracked open. So there is a cracking open that is part of that. And you have... You have so many layers of your life and aspects of you and your experience and how you've lived into those experiences that are living into being cracked open, which is the hard part, right? I mean, that is hard. So will you, will you bring us into one of those that you might want to share and how you push through the cracking open in order to see that light? Yeah. And, and that's what's required is the pushing through it and the not backing away. Um, I would say the biggest moment that demonstrates this is when I was 23 years old and my father had found out that I was gay. I hadn't told him yet. And he called me on the phone and he is in floods of tears. Like I'm thinking that he's dying. I'm thinking he's sick. Like I'm thinking someone we love died. And when he finally found his words, he said, Siri, somebody told me that you were gay. He said, I couldn't possibly have a daughter that's gay. I beg you, Siri Lindley, tell me that this isn't true. And in that moment, you know, first of all, the story he's telling me is that even though like he was my hero, he was my best friend, like I felt like he loved me more than anyone else in my life. Right. But in that moment, he's telling me that because of who I am, 
I'm not worthy of his love anymore, you know, and I had two, two choices. One was to pretend that it wasn't true and lie. Right. But that would mean that I'm completely abandoning myself, my true self and all of who I am. Yes. So I said to him, I said, Dad, it's true, but I'm the same me. Like, please just love me anyway. This doesn't change who I am. Right. But he hung up the phone and I didn't hear from him for the next two years. And after that, for the next 20 years, maybe on Christmas, I got a phone call to say Merry Christmas. But in that moment, you know, it, it, there's a choice because we're all told things that we don't want to hear about ourselves, that we don't fit in somewhere, or what we're doing doesn't make someone else happy. Right. And the story right. he was telling me that, you know, who I am isn't lovable, will never succeed, will only experience pain. And I wasn't willing to live that story. Like I wasn't willing to have that be my truth. And it's up to us, like we get to go first in deciding what story in life we wanna live. And I decided I can't afford to live the story that he's telling me. So instead I had to become that person that believed that who I am is actually, you know, my superpower. If I can just be me, like that's where I can find out what truly makes me come alive. And I can find out what I dream of and what I want to do. And that's how I can have deep relationships with people that will accept me and love me for who I am. But that process, you know, you've just been told, like, I just lost 23 years of my father's love when he found out who I really am. So did I believe that that being gay and being me was my superpower? No, not in that moment, of course not, but I couldn't afford to believe what he was telling me. Yes. So in yes. that, it became this process, this mission to find out like, who am I and how can I learn to love and respect and appreciate all that I am? Because in the end, it doesn't really matter what other people think your worth is or whether you're worthy or not. The person that matters most is you because you live with yourself every second of every hour of every day of every decade. That's right. <laughs> so the mission became taking what he was telling me and deciding not to believe that and going out on this personal journey to do things that allowed me to build up a trust for myself, a belief in myself, a respect for myself. And that's when I found triathlon. And I'd been a ice hockey, field hockey and lacrosse player, never swum before in my life, but I watched a race and I was so inspired by the fact that there were people of every age, every size, every ability level, and every single one of them just seemed to be conquering something within themselves. They were finding themselves through this challenge of the swim and the bike and the run. I love that. And I decided this, this is how I'm gonna, this will be my vehicle through which I find me and a respect for myself. It's kind of like you climbing, you know, Denali. It's like, I don't know if I can, but in doing this, like, I'm going to become more. I'm going to, I'm going to know myself more. And my first race, I came in dead last. I mean, people laughed at me because I forgot to take my helmet off on the run. And I mean, I did all these things, but I had never felt so alive in my entire life because for the first time I was doing this for me, I was doing this to face all my doubts, all my fears 
and find a way through them to a place where I could truly embrace and love me. Yes. And so I think the cracking open, and what I mean by that, we all know this, that it is through our greatest challenges, our deepest struggles, yes. that is when we are called to become more. Yes. That is when we are called to find within us everything that we need to not only move through it, but to rise above it on the other side. And it's that cracking open that so much of us, so many of us try to avoid and we keep ourselves safe because we don't want to have to face that kind of pain or suffering. Yet that's the invitation, that pain, that suffering, that challenge is an invitation to truly discover what you're made of. So in that, it's a way of reframing. Sorry, I just went on for like 10 hours. It's probably time to get off now. Sorry. <laughs> you're a keynote speaker, Siri, and your story is amazing. And no, it's not, thankfully, because there's so much more. But wow, that's incredible. That's really incredible. I love that idea of that pain and that suffering is an invitation. And yeah. and you have the opportunity to to follow them, right? Yeah, no, but, and it's not fun. We all know that. But think about getting fit. You know, you start out and you're totally unfit. And, you know, when you start working out, like it hurts, it's painful. You don't feel like doing it because it's really hard. But at the end, when you get fit and you're able to go climb a mountain or run a marathon or whatever it is you want to do, you look back and say, I couldn't have done this without that. Yes. So it's kind of the same philosophy. Where do you think you you learned that you could face those fears and face that 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 decision, that decision and, and follow the invitation into something that was difficult, but would open up into something that was more beautiful than you could ever have imagined. Where do you think you got that strength? And and even even the idea, I mean, there's so many people that, that just come up against a wall when they get to that place. I think that it was me in each of these times I was in experiencing a deep level of suffering. And I'll, I'll take it back a little bit before the experience with my father, but in college, you know, I really deeply struggled with anxiety and fear. And I had this just horrendous case of OCD where, you know, I was one of those crazy people that would flick lights on and off, on and off, on and off, on and off a thousand times until I could get some horrible thought out of my mind. Like, and, I felt like a crazy person because at that time, nobody ever spoke about anxiety. Nobody ever spoke about fear. And I just knew that if I didn't do something different, there would, I would reach a point where I couldn't bear the suffering anymore. Yes. And this is actually when my greatest mentor, Tony Robbins, um, presented himself in my life with this first book, which um, is called Unlimited Power. And in it, there was just one sentence that turned everything around for me. He said, where focus goes, energy flows. Simple. Where focus goes, energy flows. And I thought, all I'm thinking about all day, every day is what's missing, what's wrong, what I don't want to have happen, what I, what I fear, you know, what I can't control. No wonder I'm miserable. No wonder I'm suffering. No wonder I'm like, if I continue this, I'm going to create a tragedy of my life. Yeah. And it's understanding and owning the fact that our experience of life is up to us. Like it's up to us in every given moment, yes. what to yes. focus on, what meaning to give things and what to do about it. So that book and that one line just got me to say, you know what? Anything is better than this. 
Mm. And what I realize now is it's not up to fate or destiny or whatever. It's up to me. Sure. And in that, of course, it's really scary, but isn't it scarier to continue living in suffering that's only going to get worse and worse and worse when you know that it's you who holds the key? Yes. So I think it's that, you know, I just didn't want to suffer anymore. Right. And I was waiting for someone else to come and lend me a hand and pull me out of my suffering, but no one was coming. It was up to me. Right. Right. Yes. I, I just read this quote. I, I think it's Lao Tzu that, um, that was published on this website, the well that's putting up things now that's kind of deep thinking. And, uh, and I think the quote was, if you do not change direction, you will probably end up in the direction that you are headed. <laughs> and it's like, wow. Yes. Yeah, right. Exactly. exactly. And so what I realized and with fear is fear is actually our ally. You know, fear is that thing that gets us to mobilize everything we need inside of ourselves to do the best job that we can to survive something, to achieve something like if we didn't have that fear, we wouldn't have that 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 push or or that, you know, motivation to find more access more i mean think about like you know a child is choking in a restaurant and you see the parents like right away they like like they feel this terror but right away they go they do the right thing they do the heimlich and you know the baby is fine it's like that kind of swift action and effective action comes from the fear because yes. it's like okay zoom what do i need to do in this moment now yes yes yeah, so. absolutely. Well, so then you start, you find triathlon and you now we've hopped back up. I know a little bit farther, but you have such a, a long story to tell and so many, it's so rich. So you, and you've not, you've never swum now and you end up as a world champion. So there's quite a journey there. <laughs> Take us oh into that. I mean, not swimming is a big deal. I, I grew up as a swimmer. That was my sport growing up. And swimming is a highly technical skill. Like it's just not one that most people learn as adults. No. And oh my God. I mean, I haven't swum in 20 years because I had to swim so much in that short period of time. But basically, you know, it comes down to, I always use this, the story, you know, the story that I could have told myself after that first race, when I came in dead last, I couldn't swim. I could have said, you know what, this isn't for me. I don't know how to swim. I can't do a triathlon. But again, I wasn't willing to live that story because it's something I really wanted to do. So instead, I kind of decided, well, I'm going to be I'm one day going to be the best in the world in this sport. Ridiculous. Right. And I told my mom and she tried not to laugh. You know, she was very supportive, but she's like, oh, my God, <laughs> ridiculous. But in doing that, in saying one day I'm going to be the best in the world, I started showing up as that person. What would she know? She would know that every single day, as long as she, you know, makes progress, she's succeeding. Yes. She would know yes. that that, you know, she needs to laser focus, leave no stone unturned. She needs to live, eat, sleep, you know, learning this sport and becoming proficient. She yeah. would, you know, what actions would she take? take well she would get a coach right off the bat get a coach she would read every single book and magazine on triathlon she would surround herself with people that also do triathlon she would move to boulder colorado the mecca of the sport like that 
version of me, and this was future me at the time, what would she do? The one that's going to be the best in the world one day, what would she do? And then I just role played that story. It was future me would do this, future me would do that. And in doing that, I became that person eight years later that became the number one athlete in the world. But we can't, if we're telling ourselves a story that we can't, you know, I can't swim, I can't do a triathlon, we'll never do it. But if you tell yourself a story that may not feel real, you know, the discomfort of leaning into a story that doesn't feel real yet is way less than the discomfort of living a story that's never going to take you where you want to go. So I started swimming 10K a day, like every single day. I mean, not from the beginning because I had to learn how to swim. But ultimately, you know, I just I was in the pool all the time and I would get in. The the biggest thing I think that took me to the next level is I would get in and you would have hated me, Shannon. I'll tell you why, because how annoying is it when there's someone that's way too slow in your lane and they just get in your way? You're trying to get a good workout. Well, that was me because I would get in a lane that was way quicker than I was. And I would just get on feet and try and stay on the feet, stay on the feet, stay on the feet as long as I could. Then I'd pull to the side. Then I'd get on more feet, stay on as long as I could, pull to the side. I always put myself in situations where I was the worst, you know, the worst in any group, in any lane, in anything that I did. And in that, I think my progress was accelerated. Because I kept putting myself in situations where it was like, you know, hang on or, you know, always. Right, right. I mean, that's incredible. But but to stick with that for <laughs> for eight years is 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 a whole other thing. Like it's one thing to get in the pool and do that, right? Like that that takes that takes grit. But but the grit that is required to sustain that through the eight years that it took of the training to get to that high point. How did you keep yourself sustained? How did you keep yourself connected to that in a way that you could engage that fully? Yeah. And so here's, I think the most important thing of all is I needed to redefine what success was and what failure was because I failed so many. I mean, in those first four years, I just failed over and over again. I made a fool out of myself all the time. But what I told myself is success is making progress. So at least if every day I'm making some form of progress, maybe I didn't get as upset I got as I got yesterday when I fell flat on my face, you know, and that's a success. Every day I would log what my progress was that I made that day. So every single day I felt successful. Now failure, you know, or losing was learning like i never said failure oh man i learned a big one today or you know so there was never failure was learning success was making progress so there was no way i could lose internally yes because every day as long as i'm getting closer mentally physically emotionally i'm making progress success builds upon success so you keep showing up you keep getting it done but it was a showing up that mattered most. But if I had taken every failure, you know, or embarrassment or disappointment, I would have given up long before I achieved my goals. So I knew that I had to change the definition of failing to learning, period, because then it felt like a journey and I can't lose on this journey because as long as I'm learning, 
even if I don't make it, even if I don't become the best in the world, what I'm learning is filling me with things I'm going to need to step into whatever it is that I do next. Yes, yes, yes. Will you take us into one of those failures? Because looking at somebody like you, it is hard sometimes for most people to believe that you've ever failed. And so, and, and so what, and I know that probably sounds crazy to you because you've just found this way to move through things, but, but, but share one of them and, and what it felt like in the moment and how it was you pulled yourself through that moment. Because sometimes in the moment is when it's really hard to get yourself out of it, right? Ah, oh, horrible. And, you know, this is a little bit further on. It's about six years in and I had, you know, I had coaches. I modeled the best athletes in the world. I was doing everything like, and I made it to the Olympic trials. And this was the be all end all for me. It was like, you know, it was, it, it was everything. And for 365 days before the Olympic trials, I visualized the perfect race just from the gun going off, diving in the water, getting in the front pack, you know, everything leading to me crossing the line. Siri Lindley makes the Olympic team. Every single night I visualized that perfect race. So it's race day and I had moved out to Australia for a year all by myself, trying to do it alone, you know, thinking I'll get so much stronger if I do this alone. Anyways, I get in the race and within the first five minutes of the swim, I get elbowed in the face, dunked under the water. And by the time I come up, I've lost the front pack. And I hadn't visualized that. I had my perfect race. I hadn't visualized that happening. And suddenly I'm swimming as hard as I can possibly swim, but I'm just being passed and passed. Suddenly the second pack goes by me. The third pack goes by me. I get out of the swim and I get on my bike and I have no idea who's around me because these weren't the people I saw, you know, that I should be around. And I get on my bike, same thing. I'm pedaling as hard as I can and I'm just going backwards. So what do I do? I quit. I quit. I'm at the Olympic trials, the greatest moment of my life and I give up. And you know, that sent me in this deep depression. I know it sounds silly now because in life, you know, it's a small part of life, but I fell into this deep, dark depression and I felt so ashamed. I just, I, I just felt like I'd wasted everybody's time, my time, everything. And then I thought to myself, you know, when we get in times like that, where we are just at the lowest of lows, Obviously, you're still here today in that moment. So and you've been through times like that before. It's so important to go back and say, how did I get through this last time? Yes, and I went yes. back to thinking about in college when I had my OCD and I was really almost ready to just end my life because I was suffering so deeply. And I thought to myself, well, at that time, you know, I realized that I was focusing on everything that was missing everything I had no control over. Okay, well, let me think about this now. Like, and I thought, wow, you know, change the way you look at things and the things you look at change. Here I was absolutely miserable over the fact that I'd failed and quit and choked at the Olympic trials. But then I started thinking, but wait a second, what if I look at how far I've come six years ago? I didn't even know how to swim. Like, oh my God, this is a freaking miracle that I competed at the Olympic trials. And suddenly I start thinking about, you know, um, 
just how far I'd come. And so suddenly I went from this feeling of total shame to forgiving myself for being completely blind to how far I'd come and everything that I'd done and, and, you know, how proud I was that after all the times that I fell before then, that each time I never gave up, I got back on up, I dusted myself off and I tried another way. And this like pulled me out of this dark, dark place I was in. And from that point, it actually shifted everything for me as an athlete, because what I also realized is that I had suddenly at some point, my reason for doing this was I wanted to find a love and appreciation and a respect for myself. Somewhere along the line, it started becoming about paychecks and sponsorships and, you know, titles and all of this. And that was not bringing out the best in me. So in that moment, and this took a few days, maybe a few weeks, I decided, you know what, every single time I step out onto the race course or on the training field, I'm going to go out and I'm going to lay everything I have inside of me out on that race course as my way of saying thank you, thank you, whatever you believe in, but thank you, God, for having blessed me with my resilience, my grit, my determination, like this, this, this relentlessness. And I felt so grateful that I wanted to show that my way of showing it was to use it all. And suddenly everything changed at that point. But I know that's a big kind of high level failure, but initial failures, just constantly being the butt of jokes in the beginning, you know, and being laughed at because I had this dream that people thought I had no right to have because you know, I had no background, like stay in your lane, Siri, you don't know how to swim. And I think those moments were the hardest because we always, you know, we're hurt by other people laughing at us or thinking that we're not worthy of something. And that's a cracking open too. It's saying, do I want to believe them or do I want to take a chance on me? I'm going to take a chance on me. And Long answers, Shannon. Oh my God. I oh. just every of the mouth. I apologize. No, it's so good. It's so good. It's um it's really understanding at the end of the day, right? That if you don't own your own story, then the world will give it to you. And right. you have to decide. Do you take what someone else gives you for your life or or do you decide what that's gonna be for yourself? Right. I mean that's so Absolutely. and and that's brilliant. I'm so glad you said that. It's up to us. And so love yourself enough to choose your own story. You know, love yourself enough to do that because um, that's what we're here for, I believe. I, you're, you're so right. We were just talking the other day, my husband and I, about how there's, it feels like there are people who get pulled into whatever the, and, and they might be societal expectations. They might be their family uh, to your point and your story too, right? Your family's expectations and they live whatever that is. They live those families' expectations without even asking themselves, what, what am I, what am I here to do? Who am I? How am I meant to contribute to this world? Right. I like that as like the end, the end is not about you can be who you are. Great. But how are you meant to contribute to the world? Because you've got to be who you are to give back who you are. Right. Yes. 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 Beautiful. (laughs) No, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If you're inspired to go further in your own journey of grit and resilience, leadership and purpose, make sure you have your copy of The Grit Factor, 
courage, resilience, and leadership in the most male-dominated organization in the world, available anywhere books are sold. And invest in yourself and your team with courses at The Grit Institute. More information at www.thegritinstitute.com. Yeah, yeah. Well, now I, now I want to hear about the two years after that, because you get through this 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 incredible low point after six years of total focus and dedication, and you turn things around completely. So, yes, um, <laughs> I decided. You know, what am I missing? When you have a major failure, what's what's great about it is that you really assess like what's missing. What do I need to do differently? And I had like i said kind of been the lone wolf going out on my own doing this alone that's how i'll be my strongest that doesn't work for me you know i am someone i love connection i love love like i needed people around me and tony robbins had always said you know proximity is power who you surround yourself with is who you'll become so this sparked a new dream that oh my god i want to be coached by brett sutton at the time he was a number one coach in the world he coach world champions, Olympic medalists. And I thought, imagine if I surround myself with people that are all champions and he's the best in the world. So I found my way in front of him and he had remembered me. He'd remembered me from a World Cup race where I was probably in like 30th place, but I was absolutely killing myself to come in 29th. And he'd recognize that and he liked that. He said, you know, that's hunger. I like that. So I didn't think he would ever take me on because I wasn't a champion yet, Um, but he took me on. And I moved to Switzerland like five days later and I got to this training camp. And you know how you often think like I couldn't work any harder than I am. Like this is like I am flat out, can't work any harder, but at least I'll have, you know, these people around me. Well, I was so wrong. I was working like this compared to what. I need it to be. So I get there day one. Oh my God. Like we, we lived in Lausanne, Switzerland. It's the top of one of the Swiss Alps. And the goal on this day was to ride our bikes down the mountain to the big 50 meter pool, which I did. I'm like, great. I ride down the mountain. That's fine. Get in the pool. It is, I swam double what I've ever swum before in my life. We swam actually more than double. We swam 8,000 meters on this day. And it was hard the whole entire way. I was the worst swimmer in the pool. Finish this, and I just arrived from long trip from the US. Finish the swim, walk outside, I have my bike. I look over at one of my, my new training partners and I said, okay, so where, where does Brett pull up the van? You know, he had this big van, where, where, where does he pull up the van? And she laughed at me and she said, the van? Should you ride home, silly? Like, that's ridiculous. And I'm like, oh my God, it's like 20 miles of a wall, like those kinds of hills that like scare you, like, am I going to fall over? So I was like almost in tears and I'll never forget because she said, go with Jane, Jane sucks. And I'm like, first of all, I was just horrified that she's saying that this girl sucks. But then I was quite happy. I'm like, oh my God, okay. Like, where's Jane? I I need (laughs) to find Jane. So I find Jane, we start riding together within the first five minutes, Jane drops me. Jane, who apparently sucks. So what am I? Anyways, I drag my butt up this mountain. It takes me like, I don't know, two, three hours. 
and I'm done. I'm thinking, oh my God, I survived it. I'm just going to sleep the rest of the day. Five minutes later, I knock on the door and it's my coach, Brett. And he says, we're leaving in five minutes. We're going running. And I was like, you got, I didn't say this, but I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And I thought maybe it's going to be five minutes. He's going to check my form and I'll come back to my room and go to bed. Well, we go up, we all pile in the van. He drives us down to the very bottom of the mountain again, tells us to get out. And we all get out and I'm thinking, oh my God, what's happening? And he spins his car around and yells out the window, see at home, 20 miles. I'd never run this far in my life. I had to run 20 miles up this wall of a mountain. I get to the top. I'm in floods of tears the whole way. It was so painful. I call my mom as first thing I do. And I say, you know what? I'm not cut out for this. Like, I can't do this. And I remember her saying, but Siri, don't you get it? He was just testing you like you did it. You passed the test. So I went to bed that night thinking, yeah, you know what? I passed the test. Like, uh, okay, that's great. Next day, like literally same exact thing. Same exact thing, just look different, like, you know, 10 miles hard, like like 3400s on the track and then a two hour time trial on the bike. Like it was the most agonizing, horrific. It seemed like it seemed like inhumane. And after about seven days, I went up to him and I said, you know, Brett, I can't do what you're asking me to do because I can't bend my arms, my legs. I'm exhausted. And he looked at me and he said, Siri, find a way. And I thought, find a way, like how? But it was so brilliant, you see, because every day he was giving me something that seemed ridiculous, impossible. Every day, I just did the best that I could to find a way through it. Okay, just to find a way. I just showed up, I like did my best, find a way. And over the weeks, I proved to myself that what seems impossible is really possible. And that is what was missing for me, is that I had these limiting beliefs that I could only push so hard, that I could only go to this level of pain. But what he, he put me in a position where every day I'm proving to myself that there's so much more inside of me than I could ever imagine, like we said in the beginning of this call. Yes. and. Basically, you know, my first World Cup race after training with him, and this is, you know, a reflection of what happens when we let go of expectations and how powerful it is, because I arrive at the race and I can barely move. And I'm thinking, you know what, I just hope that when the gun goes off, I can take that first stroke. Like, that's how sore I was. And I'm not like, uh, um, you know, embellishing. So I had zero expectations because I'm just like, I'll, I'll be grateful if I can move. Gun goes off. I have my first World Cup podium ever. And what happened there is that suddenly I released all expectations, which used to weigh me down and slow me down and hold me back and disappoint me. And suddenly when I was just grateful to, oh, my God, I can move my arms. Oh, my God, like I, I, I can do this. That's when I truly was able to tap into my fullest potential. And ultimately through his training, it was two weeks before the Olympic games, the ones that I wanted to make two weeks before they had a major world cup race in, in Switzerland where I was training. 
and I won my first World Cup race there by two minutes. And the people behind me were the exact order who ended up winning gold, silver, and bronze two weeks later at the Olympic Games were second, third, and fourth in that race. So that was a massive victory, but we all need to do things every single day that we don't think we can. Yes. Because the truth is that you can do it. The truth is that you don't want to do it because it hurts, but the truth is that you have a responsibility to do it anyway, Mm. because that's where you break through and that's where you become more. And that's where you truly realize you want to make a contribution in this world it's going to be breaking through those kinds of things that allows you to do that. That's, that's amazing. How, what did it feel like to podium that time in that race? I mean, that must've been, I mean, it makes me want to cry right now because I just remember it was just this relief, but also this sense of we did it Siri. We did it. You know, and I hadn't felt that. That's what I was after, you know, for all those years, eight years, you know, what I was after was, I think most importantly, feeling safe and feeling at home inside my own body, trusting in myself and believing in me and backing myself. And I had done all those things. And it was like this marriage, um, this sense of commitment to myself that, we're going to be okay. It's, it's you and me and we got this. Yeah. So amazing. I mean, I know that's kind of crazy. It was just a race, but it was so oh, much just a race. Not at all. Just a race. All that you've told us is I know just barely scratching the surface of all that goes into that. That's incredible. No, it really is incredible. Well, you, uh, that there's so many, I mean, I know that, that there's more to this and, and, and um, but I want, to go into something that is is a more recent race for you. And um, it's actually when I think I was first, I think I had keynoted at a conference where you had keynoted that morning. So I, I had become much more aware of you and I was starting to follow you. And then I think I spoke for you because you had gone into cancer treatment. And um and, and so you had a you had a whole different type of race that you ran in the last several years. Can you can you share some share 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 whatever it is that you think that um oh yeah um it made perfect sense why I had taken on the things that I had yeah why I had chosen to take on this impossible dream like it suddenly made sense to me because everything uh, that I learned through that process is what I needed to overcome this deadly disease and it was deadly i mean i was given you know under 10 percent chance of surviving probably more like five because i had a genetic mutation and acute myeloid leukemia and the thing is you know i had finally reached a point in my life where i had everything that i had dreamed of everything that I had worked so hard to get a love for myself, the love of my life, you know, a mission, a purpose, you know, finally a sense of confidence, like, you know, I can go and I can do important things in the world. I can touch lives. I can make a difference. 
And then this happens. And it comes down again to that story. You know, as I hear the doctor telling me what's wrong with me and how serious it was. And my wife, I mean, she just fell apart, you know, wailing at the top of her lungs, tears. And as I'm listening to everything and watching her, I'm thinking they're all telling me that this is the end. And again, just like my dad, like I'm not willing to live that story. No, not like this isn't my time to go. I've worked so hard to get where I am. It's not my time to go. So in that moment, I declared something that did I believe it in that moment? No, but I said, I'm going to survive and I'm going to thrive on the other side of this. Now, every part of me was devastated. Every part of me was just freaking out. But I knew that in declaring that, that was me saying, this is the story yes, that I'm yes. going to live. Do I know how I'm going to do that? No, but I'm going to become that person. And so again, it goes back to that future me, the one that's going to survive this. Number one, what meaning would she give this? And I go back to, I've always said to myself, what you're going through now is preparing you for what you asked for. Think about that. What you're going through now, whatever struggle is preparing you for what you asked for. You know, it's giving you the skills, it's sharpening your sword, all these things. So I thought, okay, you know, all I want is to make a beautiful difference in this world. I found my freedom. And I want to help guide others to theirs. Maybe, maybe in me finding a way through this, I will have what I need to do that. So I gave it an empowering meaning. What else would she do? The one that's going to survive, the one that's going to thrive, what actions would she take? Well, she would do leave no stone unturned like she did in the sport, do everything in her power to get herself as strong as she can be for the treatments, for all of this, you know, she would become the master of her mindset. She would take total control over in every single moment. If she finds herself suffering, focusing on how scared she is, how sick she feels, all these things that she will change the channel to gratitude, knowing that it's gratitude always with me. It's gratitude is the bridge from despair to hope. Gratitude gives us energy. Gratitude gives us hope. Gratitude gets us present. And in that space, you become so much resourceful and make better decisions on what you need to do to overcome whatever challenge it is. So in every day, it was disciplining myself to show up as the future me that was going to survive this, do what she would do, believe what she believes, you know, and it was exhausting. I mean, it, this, this getting through AML and, you know, I... You know, I, there there were points when I was in hospital after my bone marrow transplant where I didn't know if I was still going to be around the next day. You know, that's how, how sick I was. But as I look back at that now, that gave me the most incredible gift because in those moments I thought to myself, you know, have I... Am I happy with the life I've lived? Have I done like the most important things that I want to do in this lifetime? And there were things that, yeah, I was proud of, you know, I'd lived fearlessly. That was one of them. I lived fearlessly. I did things that I didn't think that I could. The second thing that really mattered to me is that did I love with all my heart? Like, did I, did I tell people that I love them? Did I show them my love? Did I do things that I loved? 
and I had, but I, but there was a lot more I wanted to do in that area. And then my last thought was, you know, did I make a difference in this world? And I wasn't happy with the, you know, the difference that I made. So what this, these moments gave me is now I know exactly what my mission and what my purpose is. And what it is, is that I'm going to live fearlessly in every single moment. I'm going to say yes to things that pull me, that scare me, but I'm going to do them anyway. I'm going to love with all my heart every moment. And I, what matters to me is making a difference. So you can see the gifts that come out of this struggle, but you know, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life because it was in every single moment demanding, no matter how sick, no matter how weak I was demanding that I show up in a way that was going to lead to me overcoming this. And it sounds forceful. It wasn't forceful though. It was, it was me loving myself through it because horrible but also doing everything that I'd learned through my lifetime, focusing on what I had, what I wanted, what I wanted to create, what I could control. It was, you know, taking the chemo in my arms and instead of saying, oh my God, the poison, they're putting poison in my body. It was saying, you know, thank you for healing me. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for healing me. And doing everything in every moment to be the master of my mindset, the master of my emotions, the master of the meaning I was giving it. And that's why I'm here today. You know, I'm cancer free. I'm thriving. It took work, you know, like these, I'm a miracle basically, but every single one of us can be a miracle. If, if somebody listening here has been given a diagnosis, it's up to you. You get to decide what this is going to mean to you and what story you want to live. Is this going to be the end or is this going to be the beginning? Are you, is this meant for you because you will become someone more through this? And the minute you have that outcome, it's like, you know, once you know what you're working towards, you do whatever it takes to get one step closer to that every day. But that's where the story starts with you. That's that is incredibly powerful. Thank you. I mean, you are making a difference every time you wake up, Siri, and every time you speak and every time you get on that stage and you write. And and we're fortunate that you have a, your second book is coming out soon, right? With Tony Robbins. Is that right? Yes. Um, this is um, sometimes, you know, as I wrote this, I thought this is why I'm still here because it's my um, it's called Finding a Way taking the impossible and making it possible. And it's basically a guide. And I don't just speak, I have you, the reader, you know, do these different exercises. As I look back and think about how I found my way through my greatest challenges, how I achieved these things that seemed impossible, I looked back and I was able to uncover how I did that. So this book is that, but it's also getting you to ask the same questions, you know, take the same steps. It's a deep dive into your own life, which ultimately will set you free. So Tony Robbins wrote the foreword. He's my greatest mentor. He just, I can't even tell you the profound impact he's had on my life, even just by his example. But I am really, really excited and I really hope that those of you listening will take a chance on me with this book because I know that it will 
have the impact that I hope it will and that I dream, dreamed it to. It's well, and, and your first book as well, right? So surfacing and find a way. I think everybody needs to pick up both of those. Uh, get, you can probably pre-order find a way, I imagine, right? Yes, you can. And I would love that. I would love that. If you can pre-order, we actually have a, um, a contest going on because what we're trying to do is get, you know, if you work for an organization and obviously there's lots of leadership, you know, um, lessons in this and, and, you know, creating your best energy and bringing that into what you do every single day. If somebody buys a hundred copies they get a free day here at the ranch, Believe Ranch and Rescue, with my wife and I doing equine assisted coaching um, and, and taking part in kind of a VIP event. So buy 100 books today, send me the receipt so that I can see it, and I will be sending you your invitation for this day at the ranch. That's amazing. We will have links to all of those in both books and also to your website so that people can find out how to do all of these things. But one last question, because you don't just give through who you are, which would be more than than most people even dream of. But you also, you and your wife have this ranch and do this incredible work of your heart with these animals as well. Will you speak to that a little bit? Because I, I, I really believe that we are meant to find those things that break our hearts and then get involved in changing them, get involved in, in making things better, right? And you're doing that. Well, Shannon, you do that too every single day. I mean, you're, I, I'm sitting here like talking up a storm, but I want you to know how much I look up to you and the incredible work that you do in this world. You know, I rescued a horse very randomly in 2016 and this horse changed me. And she showed me a bravery and a courage I could have never thought could live inside of me. And at one point, because she'd had such a profound impact, I, I thought, what, what did I have to save her from? Like, why did I rescue her? And I saw this video of um, horses being slaughtered for human consumption. It was the worst thing I'd ever seen in my life. This brutal, you know, five to seven days and overstuffed trailers, some dying, some breaking legs. And literally, they are dismembered alive. It's the worst thing that I've ever seen in my life. So on that day, when I saw this video, um, my wife and I created Believe Ranch and Rescue, um, rescuing horses from slaughter. We've saved since then 252 horses from slaughter. We also created a second nonprofit called Horses in Our Hands that is lobbying to actually end this, to um, pass a federal bill that bans this entire practice and we've actually raised so much awareness we've done a great job that the number of horses being slaughtered went from 60,000 to 20,000 this year which means 40,000 horses have been saved due to people knowing that this is going on but every week and i think you know the most powerful thing that these horses do is i run and i hope that you'll come one day shannon um equine assisted coaching programs or it's kind of equine therapy but i call it equine assisted coaching because i'm not a therapist the horses are the actual therapists but kids with autism people with disabilities um people with addiction depression ptsd we have the ultimate privilege of watching the profound and beautiful impact that these horses have on these human beings and we get to see it every single weekend so Yes, we're saving horses, but horses are saving humans. So it's kind of come full circle. And that is um, 
our mission. You know, it's, it's a beautiful mission and we won't stop until we give them the voice that they so deserve. Thank you for asking. It no. means everything. Well, thank you for all of the incredible heart and love that you put into the world. And I, I know that you're already probably past your time here, but I so appreciate all of your stories, but mostly your heart and your spirit and your wisdom. And uh, and I know every single person that hears this podcast life is going to be better for it. So thank you, Siri. Well, Shannon, thank you for the amazing opportunity and for your friendship, for your belief and trust in me. And you just keep shining your light in this world because you are extraordinary. So much love. Thank you, Siri. Thank you so much, Shannon. Thank you. Take good Thank care. Thank you, I listeners. I cannot wait. I can't. I can't wait to. Um, I can't wait to meet you in real life. So that'll happen soon. <laughs> I can't wait. Thank you, everyone, for listening. It was wonderful to meet you all, and we'll see you again soon. Thank you, Shannon. Thanks, You're Siri. amazing. Bye. Head over to your favorite podcasting platform and hit subscribe. Then go over to YouTube and hit subscribe as well. We'll be posting the uncut interviews over at YouTube. And of course, follow along at Shannon H. Poulsen and at the Grit Institute on Instagram and at LinkedIn. I can't wait to see you for this season. You don't want to miss a single episode. And make sure to download your free copy of The Grit Factor Manifesto at www.thegritinstitute.com forward slash manifesto.